This is an ABC podcast. Can any of you tell me what the point of this story is? Oh, I genuinely don't know. I genuinely don't know what the point of this story is. They're not clean. This is a, a government that, uh, that stinks, frankly. It stinks. Hi, I'm Raf Epstein, host of Drive on ABC Radio Melbourne. And I'm Richard Willingham, the ABC's state political reporter here in Victoria. Welcome to Matters of State, a weekly look at the cogs in the machine of the election campaign to help you understand who is going to win on November 26. Two weeks to go and the election is increasingly about the character of each leader. We're going to dive into that later in the pod with Rachel Baxendale from the Australian newspaper. Both of these leaders are known quantities for many people. So the question might not boil down to who they like the most. It might boil down to who they dislike the least. And for some people, those feelings and opinions of these leaders is based on their view that our politicians may be a little bit corrupt or at the very least aren't as trustworthy as they may present. Now, the anti-corruption watchdog has been looking at a lot of our politician and it's dominated the campaign, so we'll have more on that later. Okay, the number one thing to remember, everything they're saying, everything they're doing is because voting begins on Monday. We're recording this podcast on a Friday. Early voting will begin on the Monday and most people are going to vote before election day. Uh, And we haven't had any big policies for a little while. It's dribbled out in bits and bobs. So we're going to get probably one big item each from the parties on Sunday. They're both going to have their big campaign launches. The leaders will stand there with their families and their kids. Everyone will clap and cheer. I'm Matthew Guy. Take the train to work. Daniel Andrews says, look, I grew up in the country. Look at my family. How great are we? I've been Premier. They'll be wearing red T-shirts, blue T-shirts, placards, cheering. Some The blue wave is coming. There'll be some cheesy music, some great videos, all and, those sort of things. Which is important because I found it a bit hard to work out what's interesting. Like, since we've spoken, we've had um, policies on dog parks. We've had stamp duty relief for one year only from the opposition. We've had community batteries from Labor. We've had a sign-on bonus for nurses from Labor who are already getting subsidised degrees. Yeah, we've had an IVF policy from the Coalition to make it easier to get access to it. What else have we got? No, I think, I think that's about it. But yeah. what's clear about that, Raf? is there's not a huge narrative throughout the week for either party. Matthew Guy did sort of three days of stamp duty and land and stuff, but there's not a narrative. This is an election that they're trying to just focus on each other. So all of that is swirling around, and you wonder if it's because the plan is get all your big policies out early, or is it because, especially on the Labor side, there's so much scandal going around, they've just decided not to throw any big policies out there this week. They're definitely holding things back because... They haven't been able to do a press conference this week without 10 to 15 minutes or even longer of questions about integrity and what's going on with the Labor government. We'll get into the detail of what we do and don't know about what the watchdog is doing. One difference this week, the opposition leader, Matthew Guy, was promising that within IBAC's remit, they'd be given more permission to have more public hearings. And I think that's a good start to making sure we've got probity and integrity in this state rather than a government that's been investigated four times, one, two, three, four times, and says that somehow uh, they're clean. They're not clean. This is a, a government that, um, that stinks, frankly. It stinks. And the Premier's been really under pressure over this. And here's one example of the age trying to get some answers about what his involvement might have been with a court injunction. My office behaves appropriately, and that is uh, beyond doubt. So if you want to know what IBAC did or didn't do... This question doesn't go near the topic of the injunction. Well, I'm not here to talk about... No, and I've answered your question. I have answered your question. You can refer to my statement. I haven't deleted my statement, Paul. It's there. And if you want to have a look at it, you should go and have a look at it. So that's Paul Sakal from The Age saying to the Premier, this is something you can talk about. This isn't about a court injunction. This isn't about something that the Corruption Watchdog 
is inquiring into. If maybe we can break down what we do and don't know, there's so much room for speculation because there is a lot we don't know. It's a vacuum. Let's break the Watchdogs investigations up into four things. So number one is branch stacking. Done with the Ombudsman. It's out. It's public. The Premier's answered the questions. Worth pointing out, in that investigation, there's not a single adverse comment opinion or finding about the Premier, Dan Andrews. People can make up their own minds about that, but there's no adverse finding there from the watchdog. He did say when it came out, though, that he was responsible for the actions of the Labor Party. Although, mate, and he wants wa- to clean it up. The watchdog said that he's not the leader of the party, he's the leader mm-hmm. of the Parliamentary Labor Party and other people are involved in the party. But so put that's that one, aside. That's one, Raf. That is watchdog investigation number one. Investigation number two, and the rest of these we haven't seen the public reports of. But investigation number two, if I can call that a uh, a developer land policy issue. Local councils. Local councils. There's big stuff that we've seen in public hearings. We haven't seen the final report. That impacts on politicians uh, on both sides of the aisle. And it doesn't look like there's significant that uh, doesn't look like there's anything significant there for the Premier, as far as we can tell at the moment. And we're not going to find out before the election no. on this one because the developer at the centre of this investigation has taken it to court and so we're not going to see it for a while because that's a process issue. So that's one and two. Put them aside. The other two we know a lot less about. They are essentially, though, the other two investigations. We know a little bit. One of them is subject to um, significant court in jail, well, probably two of them are subject to significant court injunctions for different reasons. We can boil it down, though, to whether or not Labor's partisan party interests, their political considerations for another election or their political considerations around who their allies, has that in some way influenced or warped or tarnished government policy decision-making. It's interesting because the watchdog's examining that issue, but we have no idea if they've found something. We don't know anything. And there's two reasons. One's prevented because one of the parties is trying to stop it coming out, delaying it, questioning the whole validity of the investigation. The other one is it's not finished yet and it's been injuncted because they don't want the report out before it's finished. It's very, very fraught, but it's a real disadvantage for the government because it opens them up to questions about what their involvement is. It's it's a it's a black cloud hanging over them. I think it's fair to say there are a lot of questions it's legitimate for people not to answer because that's a natural justice thing. Everyone's got to have the right to you know have their say before it's released. But there are other questions you would love to have cleared up. And uh, I think it goes election. and there's a whole debate about our right to know as the media for the public and, and where the balance of you know media freedom press freedom versus a process issue that needs to be dealt with. And ABAC is actually want greater powers to actually potentially jail journalists for reporting on unfinished reports, essentially. And that is a troubling thing for many people. Others will say, no, there's a process that needs to go through. And it's a really divisive issue. But because of all of that, we actually don't know much. But again, as I said, it's a problem for the government and the Premier because it creates unanswered questions. But the most important thing is those IABAC stories, what do they mean for the way the public sees the leaders and how you might vote? Rachel Baxendale writes about state politics for the Australian newspaper. Rachel, welcome to Matters of State. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, I was in Pakenham this week. There's a high-profile independent running there. 
Uh, have a listen to this. He's a currently a local councillor. His name's Brett Owen. But I wanted to know from him, just say he became the kingmaker in a new parliament, I wanted to know how he would base his decision on which party to support. People aren't impressed with either leader, to be honest. Okay. And, you know, we've got to... Um, I will sit down with whoever the leader is and yes. get the best outcome for the seat of Pakenham. So, Rach, how do you think both these leaders are seen by the public? I think that independence, right, I think both of them aren't rating particularly well. I think in Matthew Guy's case, a lot of people haven't heard of him and a lot of those who have don't like him all that much. In Daniel Andrews' case, people, he polarises people. People either love him or hate him. Why don't you think people have an opinion of Matthew Guy? You mentioned they haven't heard of him, but he was here four years ago. Did people not remember him from then? I think it's an issue of cut through and I think it's an issue of the extent to which people take notice of state politics. They take notice when they see it affecting their lives. It affected their lives during COVID and a lot of people noticed who who Daniel Andrews was. I think that helped to polarise opinions about him. Uh, But I guess... You know, Daniel Andrews likes to say that Matthew Guy is irrelevant to his plans quite quite a lot. And without saying his name. Without saying his name. Um, and for better or worse, I think he has struggled to cut through. It's been interesting. Matthew Guy's actually picked up that mantra and has been asked on the campaign trail, what do you think of Labor's policy? And he's like, well, I'm not here to talk about them. Yeah. I, I think too... Everyone knows what they think of Dan Andrews. I think you're, you've you've decided that. Maybe what will decide the election is what do you make of Matthew Guy? So that who they dislike the least question comes down to, okay, how much have I heard of this guy, Matthew Guy, and do I think he's competent enough to, to lead? I think that's absolutely right. I mean, people often talk about governments losing elections rather than oppositions winning them. But I think you can have a, situations where, a situation where people aren't very happy with the government, but they... The, the decision is whether or not they see the opposition as a legitimate alternative. If, whether or not they're any better. Uh, you also find, talking to people as they switch on to this campaign, they're not very happy with the calibre of leadership from either side. I went to a school reunion and I hadn't seen a lot of people for 10 years and you know, inevitably politics comes up and, and two people separately brought up South Park when talking about this election. And there's a famous South Park episode where it's about the election in the US. It's a race between a turd sandwich and a giant douche. And (laughs) these were two independent people. They both brought it up. Both brought it up comparing this election. Rach, let's think about how much of the impressions of the leaders, how much of that comes from the daily press conferences that that you go to all the time. Tell me a bit about those press conferences and how you think what happens there filters through to people's perceptions. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I think... COVID was the first time people, normal people, tuned into daily press conferences. And even now they, you know, they can go for up to an hour. It's our job at the end of that to work out what we think the interesting bits are. And sometimes there's not very much. (laughs) And that's certainly been the, the case a few times this week. This time around, it's quite interesting. I've been talking to a lot of, uh, Labor MPs and people, people associated with Labor who live in very safe Labor seats. And one of them told me last week um, that that this person said they were really upset Labor's building Taj Mahals in places we don't need them. And crucial infrastructure, hospitals, roads aren't getting built in, in the places that a lot of these MPs think they should. This person likened it to sports rorts at a federal coalition level. Uh, and I think that's that's the other side of the coin. So how much of that is about politics and factional politics and how much of it does it actually matter? It's a little bit of both, but I mean, these people are saying this 
during an election campaign, they want their side to win, but they still see it as being important enough that they're going to undermine their leader on this in the context of an election campaign. I think factional politics definitely comes into it, but I think these are genuinely held views and by people who care about their local communities. Doesn't it come into both the internal and the external criticism of the Premier, he makes too many of the decisions. And that when he makes all the decisions, he gets some of those decisions wrong. Um, So you've got maybe the internal critic saying that. You might have the opposition saying he takes too many of the decisions out of the hands of his ministers. I mean, that that sentiment is there. Whether or not it's a deciding factor... I don't know, but it's definitely there. Absolutely, and I think one of the key criticisms of, of, of the people I've been speaking to, and this was a criticism that was made of, of the Premier during uh, the pandemic as well, is that so many decisions get made by his office and it's their way or the highway and people just have to go along with that. And I think there is a fair bit of tension between that office and some MPs who see themselves on the outer and and, and some parts of the, the party campaign yeah, machinery as well. I think that's a definite problem is that there is this, this not disconnect, but real tension between the, the campaign and the, and the Premier's private office. And, and some of the decisions that have been made have left some people scratching their heads about the direction. And I think one of those, the key one of that for me is making Daniel Andrews front and centre of Labor's re-election pitch. They want, you know, the Liberals want him to be the front and centre. And, and what else are you going to put at the head of your campaign? Well, He's you been make here it, for eight years. You make, you make it about the Labor Party, the Labor oh. government. You don't put Daniel Andrews on every it's single It's not act. them accepting the inevitable? I think there's there's this way, there is a path to walk. We can do both. You notice it, don't you? You see the Liberal ads in the marginals, in the outer suburbs, where they want to make Andrews the target because they think it's a negative. Well, but then in the inner city, Labor's got these huge Dan Andrews billboards yeah. in seats like Richmond and Albert Park that they want to defend from the Greens. So the people who are oscillating between Green and Labor, Dan Andrews is a huge plus. Whether or not Dan Andrews is a big negative in those outer suburban seats, don't I, know. I guess it comes back to what we were saying at the start of the podcast. I mean, Daniel Andrews has got brand recognition. People yes. either love him or hate him. Uh, and and I guess that's 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 what both sides yeah. are going for. But yeah, both both campaigns... Daniel Andrews is front and yes. centre. So the polls are clearly narrowing. I think a hung parliament is a real possibility. There's three options, Labor majority, Labor minority, and a coalition win. I think the coalition win is the least likely, but I think a minority government is, is really a possibility. The odds for that in one with one bookie have dropped from $14 to $7. I think that's absolutely right. We had a news poll last weekend largely pointing to that. Uh, if anything, it showed... Daniel Andrews just getting over the line with a majority. He currently notionally has a 12-seat majority. This this showed him losing 10 seats. Uh, but, you know, anything can happen between now and Election Day, and it's really only now that people are actually tuning in and, and starting to tune in and realise that there is an election in, in the seats that determine these things. So it is going to be interesting to see. And I guess the, the only prediction I feel relatively safe making is that I think we will have a bigger crossbench after the election than we do now. Both major parties' primary votes are very low. News polls showed them at 37 each with the Greens with 13% and others with 13%. I'd say two things about the polls. Firstly, if Matthew Guy won majority, that would be an even bigger surprise than Scott Morrison winning in 2019. Like the, The gap in the polls and the gap in the parliament is even bigger than Scott Morrison's surprise, if he were to win. And the other thing I'd say, I, I think it's important that we focus on just how much of a terrible week the Premier's had. 
But we should all keep in mind that everybody thought Anthony Albanese had a terrible beginning to his campaign as well, and we know where that campaign ended up. The other thing about the, the seats that Matthew Guy needs to pick up is that a lot of them have much larger margins yes. than, the, than the seats on the other side of the ledger. Uh, I hear what you're saying, Rach. Uh, Matthew Guy just happened to pop up when we were in Packingham. Now, I'm sure he was there for a legitimate reason. I'm sure. Campaigning, Raph. He was campaigning. It was just before um, we went to air. The last time I did see him, he was he was having one of those press conferences where he gets angry. This was a very different Matthew Guy. I like, remember that press conference. <laughs> he knows. I mean, he's got the wind at his back. You know, wet sail, whatever metaphor you want. He was super relaxed, super chipper. Um, I still think he's got a big mountain to climb. But I don't know. What are you hearing from both sides? How? What's the vibe inside both camps? I think the opposition are definitely more chipper than they were two weeks ago. I think some of them are openly saying they can win this. I said a lot's got to go their way, but they can win this. Labor is increasingly nervous, but they were the, the smart people in Labor were very acutely aware before the election that they were going to lose seats, and which is why part of their strategy is to not hold fifty-five seats. It's to defend forty-five. Mm. It's just a win. You don't need to win by 10 goals. You just need to win by a point. And they are genuinely nervous. I've had Labor strategists talk to me about what they think the path to victory for the coalition would be. I, I still think that's an unlikely outcome, but it's not completely impossible. But it's so, I think one thing to remember, it's so complicated now because it's not a binary Labor-Liberal fight. The Liberals have fought to fight the Teals. Labor's got to fight the Greens and suburban independents. It's a really complicated And Labor map. would say they've got to fight the media. Someone in Labor said to me, it's not Liberal Labor. This this is how they're talking, right? They were saying to me, it's not Bunker a Liberal Labor mentality. fight. It's Labor versus the media. But it's important to know that's what they think they're dealing with. That's what they think they're dealing with. Rachel, before we let you go, what is your postscript for the podcast this week? My postscript is about the economy. I think we've had a completely different economic environment up until now where it's made sense to spend lots of money, create jobs, do big projects. We're now in a situation where inflation is running rife, uh, interest rates are rising and uh, state debt is headed off a cliff. Uh, And I think Neither side is really taking that into account at all. We've seen huge promises and a lot of them arguably inflationary. And we've had quite a few economists make warnings along those lines. My postscript for the podcast this week is the fact that after Sunday with the election, with the campaign launches, there'll be a big sugar hit from both sides. It's going to be a lot harder for marginal seat MPs to campaign because they're going to have to be standing on pre-poll. So it's going to be hours and hours and hours and hours and hours for marginal MPs and candidates literally standing at pre-poll, handing out how-to-vote cards, trying to have every conversation they can. And because people are now voting, means they've made up their mind, policy takes a long time to filter through. So I don't expect we'll see a lot of big-ticket items after Sunday. My postscript is that Jeff Kennett, in the lead-in to the 99 election, um, he often talks about a Herald Sun poll. The Monday before that election, it showed a potential 6% swing to him He called a meeting at the press gallery. He told the media he could lose. And a lot of the journalists laughed at him because they couldn't conceive of Jeff Kennett losing that election. Some of the wiser people in the Labor uh, camp have also said to me, actually, it's good if our people get panicked. I don't know if they're telling me that because they want to tell me that or if they actually genuinely believe it. And the final part of the Jeff Kennett postscript is this. It was Jeff Kenner's decision to have the statues of premiers outside where the premier's office now is. Jeff Kenner made a rule that you've got to win three elections to have a statue. There is no statue of Jeff Kenner. 
Uh, I suspect that really burns like acid in his veins. And I think there's a big part of Dan Andrews who, I'm not saying this is the main reason people get into politics, but he would really like to get a statue there. He'll only get it if he wins this election. Rachel Baxendale from The Australian, thank you for being part of Matters of State. Thanks so much for having me. And that is it for Matters of State this week. Please do subscribe and follow this Matters of State podcast in your ABC Listen app or your preferred podcast provider. And we'll be back in your feeds next Friday.